Hello and welcome to Business Line podcast. I'm your host Thomas K Thomas and I'm speaking with Matt Hicks, president and CEO of Red Hat, the IBM backed open source enterprise software maker, to understand how the global tech spends are shaping up the headwinds and opportunities and India's potential for the Linux company. Listen in. So Matt, uh, I would like to start off by asking you, it's been just over a year that take over the responsibility as a CEO. Uh, what's been the journey like so far and is it like a baptism of fire for you especially with the economic uncertainty all around and tech industry downturn and we are hearing a lot of uh, you know uh, uh, pressure on IT industry in general uh, so how you have, how have you been navigating through these last few months and as a ceo personally uh, what have been how's been your experience Yeah, I w- I will say the year it's been a really fast year. I think the fastest year of my life um so far <laughs> where um and I've been a Red Hat almost 18 years. 18 years next month on it. So right. luckily coming into the seat I knew Red Hat. I was running our uh, business units and engineering organization. So I knew our business well. Um knew our strategy. Paul, my predecessor, did a great job in in setting a foundation that honestly was was pretty easy to jump in and work with on that. So that those are the positives on it. Um you did mention there has been a lot of chaos in the last year in this role from, you know, economic to geopolitical and those and and balancing that is um it's certainly a challenge with it, but I think with the any meaningful endeavor you're you're going to have challenges and work so i remind myself of that each week that you know i really think red hat yeah i i'm a big believer and i started with open source you know every day red hat runs we do something good in the world with it um so it's a great motivator for me to uh, tackle the challenges and keep red hat running and you know and i do think even in the in the economic pressures on that we see quite a pull for software innovation being the thing whether that's going to be the investment to drive um cost cutting or realization whether that's going to be the investment to drive innovation and in changing markets um so that has created a pretty consistent opportunity for us even within the the churn and uncertainty so you know i i've loved it it's a it's a great team it's a great company and Um, it's been a fun year but it has been a really fast one right could you talk a little bit about uh, say maybe two or three of your top focus areas after you took taken over as ceo uh, what what are you looking at in terms of technology in terms of organization in terms of the market yeah um i'll probably do them in reverse if that's okay so i i think market wise where you were focused on what we call open hybrid cloud so the ability to if developers or operators are investing in something we want them to be able to get as much use out of that investment as possible and right. you know our goal for a long time has been make sure that investment can deploy in as many places as possible whether that's a data center or public cloud um or to the edge and that flexibility and workload where we've seen this these market changes you know market opportunities for us is the the combination i think of edge as well as as ai is a really impactful opportunity for us right now because 
running outside of data centers has been a a core requirement for us for quite a while. You know, we're, I think it was two summits ago, we talked about OpenShift running in the International Space Station on it. And so getting those footprints down to where we can literally run uh, anywhere on the planet or off, uh, you know, has been a journey for us to make sure we could land there. With AI as a workload, that's something that we're seeing there's a pull to run that as close to customers as possible. And customers might be uh, manufacturing workers at a plant, or uh, it could be a driver of a vehicle, or it could be shoppers in a retail outlet. But that that latency and time, one AI, we'll call it the post-chat GPT world, has certainly shown how impactful it can be. And then right. there's that proximity dynamic. And I think the combination of that workload, which we think is, um, you know, well geared for Linux itself, um, and the architectural of being able to train that in large clouds, run that at the edge, that's been a huge priority um, for us. And then, if I had to pick a a second clip below that, um, you know, we're a technology platform company, and and we do believe that the container Linux container architecture enables a lot of this because there is an inherent mobility in how are you going to train AI models in a large data center, but then package and move these models to the edge. Uh, how can you encapsulate architecture differences? All of these things. Um, it's a great combination of containers as a technical architecture for some really exciting market changes and technology changes. So that that has been um, a focus area for us for a few years at this point, to be honest. And But it's really exploded uh, over the last last year or so. Right. And in terms of organization, how are you uh, ensuring that you are uh, sort of ready and uh, agile to, uh, you know, take up those opportunities that's before you? Yeah. Um, our last sales leader uh, Larry Stack had a great saying, which was um, customer first partner always on it. And that that has been a a passion of Red Hat since I can remember Red Hat starting is really making sure that it wasn't just about us and our direct sales on it, that we had an ecosystem around us uh, for it. Because again, we're a platform company. We, you know, you could say we don't do much by ourselves. It requires other things, whether that's DIY custom applications by IT groups, or whether right. it's ISVs adding to it. When you look at this change in market, when we get to edge deployments um, or edge with AI, it is a totally new ecosystem. If you look in the automotive space, you have completely different sales routes. You have new partners there. When you look at uh, the exploding ecosystem around AI, uh, it is an entirely new class of companies that didn't exist a quarter ago um, right. that gives us the opportunity to partner with and build on. So organizationally, that that focus on making the right partnerships for this market, we obviously know, yeah, if you go to the core, RHEL, data center, traditional OEMs, uh, that's our bread and butter. That's what we know. But organizationally, when we look at these new markets, it requires a... Um, refined approach to our ecosystem, selecting new partners, finding who the um, who controls those routes and who's best to work with to um, 
really give us reach on it. So not a new model for us, uh, but it is a new ecosystem and it's new partners um, in that space. So that's been a big, big focus of us as well to make sure we've we've built enough foundation so that we can reach those customers and those use cases. Right. Interesting. I'll come back to some of these points, but I thought I would uh, ask you to, I mean, you, you obviously as a, a CEO of a global tech company, you might, you are obviously speaking to a lot of your clients uh, in the enterprise space. Uh, what are you hearing on, uh, on when it comes to tech spends? I mean, everybody's relating it to the inflation and the uh, larger economy. Uh, do you think the worst is behind or do you think it gets worse before it gets better from here? You know, I'm, I'll warn you, I'm an optimist by nature. So I sort of always <laughs> fall in the camp of, uh, but I would say the, the theme that I've picked up hasn't as much been um, arbitrarily cut, hold back. I, I would sort of summarize it as the um, growth at all costs isn't really the preferred model anymore. I mean, we went through that for a few years where uh, if you were able to grow, it really didn't matter on the cost of it. Growth was going to be the thing that wins all. Um, right. The the theme or trend that I picked up with most enterprises is that sustainable growth are the words I would put on it has right. become the thing now at this point. And so um, I'm going through in my head of pretty much every customer I've talked to is still investing, but they are being much more prudent about these investments have to have returns on them. And these investments have to be sustainable. Uh, right. For us, that is tends to be an advantage with it, where we do build around open source. Uh, that just brings a lot of, you know, cost effectiveness. It uh, has a nice balance in terms of how customers can create and co-create with us. Uh, but I haven't seen that that arbitrary pullback on it. I have seen a lot of scrutiny to uh, we're not going to bet on all the things and hope one lands with it. And I think that's more healthy than it's not on it. You know, we go through business cycles and I don't think this is necessarily a negative one, but I do think there will be that that caution and focus on returns, which, um, you know, sustainable growth in my mind, I'm like that's not a bad thing for it. That that you know helps minimize the cycles going forward. So it's it's been more positive than negative um, from what I've seen of a a continued investment in innovation side. Right, but is there a uh, so generally, if you ask any enterprise out there today, especially post pandemic. Everybody acknowledges that technology is the, you know, uh, sort of technology is required to survive. I mean, it's it's as core as it can get uh, for them. But when it comes to uh, actual implementation or uh, buying products or buying technology, it seems to be the one of the first things that they cut down on. I mean, you look at any uh, tech companies around the world, everybody's facing this massive headwind, right? So if mm -hmm. where is the disconnect where on one hand corporates are saying that tech is critical and very much needed for survival, but when it comes to cutting down on cost and you know uh, uh, rationalizing their operations, this is the first thing that they you know think about cutting. Yeah, I I think there are two aspects I've seen with that. On one side, uh, it's where are you going to place your bets, and there is a bit of a a hesitancy to just bet on the thing that's unknown, 
right now, which if you go back the last few years, I mean, customers would take a bet on any technology, like anything that might give them that differentiator was worth the attempt on it. And, right. and that did spur a lot of innovation, but it also spurs a lot of things that don't pan out with it. The trend I've seen right now is really almost a getting back to basics on it of they're going to invest they're going to invest down known paths of it. It's, um, I think there's a, well, with the exception of AI, to be honest, there, um, there's a, you know, getting back to basics, making sure that the things that they bet on are going to be durable for a decade or so on it. This is where we have seen that, that pull and success with technologies like Linux containers, because they're known, they've been around for a decade they do produce some differentiating capabilities, but they're guaranteed to be here in two or three years. If you invest in it, uh, something like Kubernetes is not going away on it. Right. So I have seen that shifting area, whereas um, if you were launching a new product as a startup, I do think this could be a tough environment for you because it's not necessarily that space. The reason I am... Um, hold AI out as an exception for it. I have also seen the, and we go through this ourselves, if if we want sustainable growth and we also want to invest in the new things, we have to be doubly prudent about where where is that investment going to come from? We're not going to pull margins down or those things to be able to invest in the new areas. So right. we just get more disciplined on the core to free up cycles and investment to be able to spend in new areas like AI. And that that has been a pretty common theme I've seen across customers where uh, investing in AI technologies is almost a known for them. It is the returns are uncertain. Uh, the right. approach is very, very new right now. The um, can you just use you know generative AI or do you have to focus on refinement training? It's all up in the air, but they almost every company I've talked to does seem to be very disciplined in terms of those will be bets they're going to make, which I think drives a little more pressure to your point on the um, what might be seen as cuts, but I would say is more of a really refinement on the core, the things that they they must have, not the not the wants that surround them. The wants might get reduced. Um, I think we'll eventually see that either in the core or in, in investment areas like AI for Interesting thoughts there. Just two follow-up questions. One, you mentioned AI and it's still at a very nascent stage. Uh, as you said, there's a lot of uncertainty on where this technology is leading, what kind of services, use cases can happen. So yeah. how are you navigating this space using this technology uh, for Red Hat? And also uh, coming back to the tech spends, uh, uh, the, because you know technology cycle is changing so fast. Every two years, there's something new that comes up, right? Uh, so the enterprises that I speak to are kind of confused on where to invest because they've invested in something like a year or uh, two years back. They've not yet made money on that, and here's something else that's hit them, hit them, yeah. right? Yeah. So we don't know what's going to happen two, three years down the line, and now there's something called AI which is coming. Right. And everybody's wondering what to do with it. Yeah. Well, let me um I'll answer those in in reverse as well. I think for us, take OpenShift and RHEL with containers. 
we really try to stay disciplined on the these investments take years to be able to train large organizations around to be able to apply them at critical mass for it if they're not relevant or we've moved on from them in a few years it does create this um, sense of chaos where it's just really hard to um, to be able to make a bet and train 10,000 developers on something in this constant cycle. The reason we focused on open hybrid cloud and the the concepts of like any application anywhere is so that as enterprise take these bets on technologies like OpenShift or like RHEL, they're not only going to be durable in terms of time for it, we will let those same investments be applied at the edge or at public cloud deployments or um, with GPUs for AI acceleration. Or for us, when we stepped into the AI space, it was with OpenShift AI. It was just simply a layer above OpenShift that helps you with GPU coordination and training and refinement training. So right. we've really tried to stay disciplined because we hear this all the time from enterprises like, this cycle is moving too fast for me to get, you know, a large number of people around this, whether it's developers or operators. Um, you know, so we're passionate about that. We, uh, you know, we live in this space. We know the challenge, you know, and it's a it's a powerful thing with open source that it moves so quickly. Right. That's Red Hat's reason for existing is we have to take that that fast moving innovation cycle and figure out how we can put it in the hands of enterprises in a way that they can they can adopt and they can use. Um, when it comes to how we look at AI and how we're using it, I would say it's a pretty common trend to what I've heard from most customers as well. We um, And we might be a bit unique in that we have been in this space for a long time. So the first thing we focus on just product-wise is the infrastructure plumbing behind AI. So we help train, we help deploy, we focus on inference with it. We don't right. do models with it. And the reason is uh, we just don't have the, the depth of expertise to go uh, build our own models, build our own Llama 2 model of those things. And then two, if you look at the amount of innovation, just looking at a hugging face, it's a pretty impressive space on its own right now. And so we have all the choice that we would want from the hugging face of the world, or you have the GPTs, uh, IBM invests quite a bit in model generation, you have Facebook's models. Um, but where we see the need is the challenge we have dealt with, which is how do we take one of these models, um, do refinement training on our data that we know as a company, on our operational data, our support data, our um, engineering patterns that we have, without having to move all of that data somewhere else. I mean, it's just too much. In some cases, we have uh, two decades worth of data. And so it's being able to move those models to our data centers and our gravity of data, be right. able to focus on that process of refinement refinement training. And then the last piece is really the inference piece of once you have something working, hosting these models at scale is not a trivial thing for it. And we really 
we leverage the underpinnings of OpenShift quite a bit here to use right. that distributed computing base to uh, speed up that cycle, which is take models of which you have you know, thousands of choices, um, refinement train around data that you're probably going to do in our case, it's, it is in our data centers, it's in our core. Um, right. And then when you have experiments working, how do you put them back closest to the use cases in it, whether that's data centers, clouds, edge, um, that's where we have been spending our time internally for use. Right. That's also where we put our investment in the product portfolio around OpenShift AI as well. Right. So would you be able to throw some color into uh, what part of your deals are from AI-based uh, projects or products? Uh, to be honest, no, right now, because we're in the quiet period for the quarters yeah. and we don't break out on products like that. But um, but what I would say is the, you know, if you look at the, the base of adoption, so OpenShift AI is really built on the OpenShift technology. Uh, several quarters ago, Allison can probably get you this specific quarter if you want. Um, Jim Kavanaugh, uh, IBM CFO, disclosed that OpenShift had crossed a billion dollar business and annual recurring revenue on it. Right. So in terms of the, and this was pre AI wave for it. So just the distributed computing um, potential of containers and the deployment efficiencies in those already represents a billion dollar business for us there. Um, okay. So we're pretty optimistic of being able to take that install base, take that known potential and put a pretty thin layer on top that that leverages our partnerships with NVIDIA. Um, you know, obviously we live in the Linux space. The so things, you know, areas like PyTorch are very, um, they're very close to our core of what we do. And just um, I tell my teams a lot, we are going to stay in our lane with this. We know how to do DevOps with OpenShift. Right. We will focus on the AI ops piece of how can we, how can we speed that cycle up that's worked really well and not try to chase all the things with it. So, um, so I'm really optimistic about that. Unfortunately, I can't break out a specifics on it now. Sure. Fair enough. Uh, are there any specific sectors you're bullish about where you think tech adoption is happening faster for you? For example, uh, would telecom be something which is, uh, exciting because a lot of their network, everything is moving towards this open source kind of environment. Yeah. Um, telco has almost been our, our poster child for, for edge with it, because you have this culmination of, um, 5g, which just by the design of it will be more distributed. Um, right. then you have an underlying current of whether it's O-RAN or these things, more of a draw to open systems that are able to run it. On it, and so we have. I want to say, going back probably almost ten years at this point, made a really significant investment in telco from our core network capabilities with products like OpenStack, to right. being able to run in edge deployments with products like OpenShift, and doing that in a at a deep network capability level for it. Right. Um, that I think. Uh, it not only gave us success in telco, and that's something that we've seen expanding you know, globally with it, uh, it also has made our products much more capable because you're when you're running things at telco scale, it's going to work for most enterprises on that as well. So I think that's been um, 
a healthy cycle. And I think as as countries, major service providers move towards 5G, we'll continue to see more of that. Um, one good data point, I think, of the the success down this path, we recently announced our partnership with um, Nokia of taking over their core platform business on it. And right. so that's something we we know runs on open systems. We we know this space well. We run a lot of the core networks and our edge networks um, for telco. So that I think has been a a great area that fits in that hybrid cloud world that we really like. Uh, right. Automotive is another area where I would say there are sort of two trends that are shifting there. The first was a pressure of semiconductor shortages right. um, that really made a lot of the the major car producers rethink how they were building cars, to be honest. So how much right. could they centralize computing um, as they were being pinched on availability? Hand in hand with that, though, is the push towards electric vehicles. And right. the you have a much more software-dominated view of the vehicle at that point. And those two factors combined have driven a pretty significant change in the automotive industry. This is one where um, for us, we've been excited because there are you know, opportunities like making Linux functionally safe for the automotive market. And we announced our partnership with GM um, two years ago and that, and that, that has been the second area where when you get into things like autonomous driving, right. It's inherently AI based running at the edge, right? You're running in vehicles, but you also have this, this nature of being able to push models and updates to vehicle, the same pattern there. So that that's a second market that we're excited about. It's automotive. It moves a little bit slower. You, you have um, multi years from design to production on it. Um, but it is certainly changing to, you know, standardized technology, uh, as well as this hybrid deployment. Uh, the last right. one I would say is actually manufacturing. And manufacturing, there is a tremendous amount of change that's going on in manufacturing right now. The the time frames I think are a little less predictable because it comes at the time to build a new factory or re-outfit it. So it's not as ubiquitous as telco with 5G buying spectrum will happen in this time frame but we see the same trend to autonomous factories and um, several different variants of that application where again it fits those hybrid deployments um, really strong adoption for ai running at the edge um, being able to be offline loosely connected those are the three that We've just seen a lot of investment in. Telco is sort of in the now bucket. Automotive, I think, will be in the in the next couple of years. Um, right. And then manufacturing, you sort of see it in the now, but it's less predictable. It's driven on just a different um, factory life cycle, investment cycle for it. Interesting. So some of the Indian uh, IT services companies like TCS uh, is also moving into the telecom space with the open RAN uh, kind of architecture where they play the system integrator role. Uh, yep. And now they've got some contracts in India and now they're looking at uh, going global. Uh, do you see them as uh, a potential collaborator there? Or, uh, I mean, is there a scope there to do that? 
Yeah, you know, I think um, TCS has been a great partner for us globally for a long time in this. So I think for us, um, a lot of the GSIs, global system integrators, uh, they are going through this. Where can they invest beyond just enterprise IT on it to be able to use those those skill sets? I do think it's a nice combination where if you look at our world going into telco, data center technologies, OpenStack, OpenShift, the skills you built up in the data center can now play in a telco core network or a telco edge network or right. a an OT manufacturing site. Um, I do think there's a natural synergy there for then um, an SI like a TCS can use their really strong data center skills and then start applying those to new industries on it. So um, it fits our, why we invest in the platforms we do and what we hope comes of it. Um, so yeah, we're certainly, uh, we're excited to see more and more of that because um, yeah, it's sort of, it's at our core. It's the foundation we try to build for partners so that if you bet on Red Hat, you can get a lot out of that bet. So um, yeah, I'm hoping they're right. successful there. Right. So one of the things that uh, a lot of tech companies are sort of uh, thinking through is the regulatory landscape. You know, every mm -hmm. region, every country is thinking about privacy data. India yeah. is also coming up with a privacy data, privacy bill. Uh, you know, there's a lot of pressure on data localization uh, and yeah. so on and so forth. So uh, do you think this could be, regulation could be a disruptor of technology adoption in some way where, you know, the whole data infrastructure gets broken up into multiple internets or multiple networks, depending on the regulations? It, um, it could go that way, but I would say another variant of this, of um, when we look at open source technology, we separate the availability of it from the application of it. And I think the really powerful thing with open source is that it is available worldwide without country boundaries that are there for it. So you have global availability of technology, which I think is really powerful for innovation. If if we fragment the core technology, then to your point, then I think you're on a more challenging path. If we're on a common technology base, but we're putting up sovereign boundaries to that to protect data or citizens on it. Um, I don't think that's necessarily a negative aspect. In our world, that necessitates partnering at a local level because we can help supply technology, but you need a local service provider that can meet the country regulations on that. Uh, it fits in our, you know, Red Hat has a certified cloud service provider program where we have over I think it's over a thousand partners that are on that. So this has been an area that uh, we've believed in for a long time, that it's not only going to be three or four clouds running the world, that there is a lot of value in region and that specialization, whether that's driven from data privacy regulations or you know sovereign data requirements or just local market specialization. I think that can be a very positive aspect to it. And that that's sort of how we integrate with it. I do think the premise of that is that we don't fragment the technology landscape behind it. I think if you do that, then those boundaries become a little bit tougher tra to traverse or integrate with. But 
um, common technology that is, you know, isolated on data, um, it'll certainly create new operating models that we're, we're not necessarily used to, but I don't think it'll necessarily be negative. Right. Is the open source modeling itself uh, going through a change? And I'm uh, referring to some of things that I've been reading uh, related to what Red Hat has done in the last six months, where some of your uh, partners like, uh, you know, Seuss and Alma and Rocky, they've been creating a lot of, uh, uh, you know, uh, basically they're forking into their own, uh, you know, uh, usage of platforms. So how do you see that uh, playing out? Yeah. Um, well, maybe a little tongue in cheek, but I always like to like, imitation is the uh, sincerest form of flattery there. When, when you have other companies saying that they're going to make products like ours, I think one, it shows the relevance of our products to customers in the market. Right. In terms of the um, the change we made, our change was really driven on our belief that contribution to Linux is what makes ecosystems run on it. Um, in the past, we had and helped with a downstream build of RHEL, uh, which was CentOS originally. The challenge we had with that was any hardware partner, and that really was like our, our contribution community, that would contribute into that it would never make its way back into RHEL. So it actually wasn't helping commercial partners. We did have an upstream community, which was Fedora, but Fedora is pretty far ahead of RHEL. And so our hardware partners say like, oh, we're not interested in making a contribution that that three years down the road hits RHEL. We want that fast cycle. Um, so for us, really, the only change we made was we are stopping our our builds of CentOS downstream from RHEL, and we created a new community ahead of RHEL, which was CentOS Stream. Um, there are companies that rely on that source to just reproduce RHEL-like clones on it. Um, this doesn't stop them from doing that work, but it does move more of the work to them on it. Right. And we've tried to be pretty open in that, um, you know, it is open source. Like the licenses aren't controlled by us. There is always choice. Uh, that choice may require more work or investment. Uh, my hope would be, I don't think there's much value in just producing a lower cost clone of our products. Um, I like to think that there is more of a sustainable market in specializing or differentiating um, I've actually used Amazon Linux as a really good example that um, works from, I believe, Fedora on it, but they really specialize to Amazon's cloud on it, where you're going to have driver availability and capabilities the fastest with Amazon Linux. And, and in those cases, it's making Linux itself better. Um, and then those are options that we can work from or anyone else. So that's really the change for us is saying we're... Um, we're not going to put energy in the the downstream rebuilds of RHEL. And in hand in hand with that, we've made RHEL much more available to non-commercial use cases, uh, individual contributors, our developer program offering it for free, because we never want to hold the product back from sort of that contribution community in Linux. Um, and we do want to try to make changes that make Linux as sustainable as possible for us. But 
I think with any change you have, uh, you have people that are for it. You have people that are against it, but um, yeah, that's the, uh, that is the life of open source with it. Right. Interesting developments. So uh, what are your thoughts on India market? Uh, how is it faring for you uh, from a global perspective, uh, both from a market point of view, uh, how is it doing in terms of talent for you? And are you looking at India for some development work as well? Yeah, I usually am telling Marshall this. I think Marshall's uh, uh, some days I'm like, I think India is the probably one of the hottest markets on the planet at this point. I'm um, just really, really good fundamentals, strong technology understanding, um, great growth on it. So market as a whole, I think India is a phenomenal opportunity. Uh, it is a unique market that she touched on where we not only have a, a really strong opportunity in country with it, it also is a significant engineering hub for us. Um, and so that's something I would expect to continue. And, and for us, we really focus on engineering hubs and those things at the basics of even educational systems and what talent um, is produced. And I think India has been really in a sweet spot of phenomenal education system, great local talent that's there. Uh, we started but we really started our investment in India right about when I joined at Red Hat, which is you know 18 years ago, and it has it has only grown um, since then. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited about that. I keep telling Marshall uh, he's got uh, he has more to do, uh, more he can do there. But it's it's an exciting exciting country right now to watch. I don't know if you break down things geographically, but does India figure in the top five market for you? That's probably another one of those that uh, we we don't even um, we don't even break out product specific <laughs> details on it. So uh, so unfortunately, uh, not geographically. Right. So one final question, uh, Matt. So obviously, in the overall scheme of things, uh, Red Hat is doing phenomenally well for IBM. I was looking at the last numbers; you're growing at eleven percent. Uh, so uh, as a CEO, what's your roadmap ahead? Let's say two years down the line uh, or three years down the line, where do you want uh, Red Hat to be uh, at that point in time from overall IBM's perspective? Yeah, you know, I think um, continuing. So for us, we talk about um, our three core platforms. So RHEL, OpenShift, and Ansible with it. Uh, we have great opportunities in all three. And um, continuing to see those grow, for us, uh, RHEL's, continuation to the edge and as a base for AI is critical. OpenShift's expansion into OpenShift AI is critical. Um, and then Ansible, especially as we look at AI augmented Ansible, um, we launched Ansible Lightspeed at Summit, which is actually powered by IBM's um, a domain-specific AI model, um, is really, 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 I think, powerful combination in that it it reduces the skills needed to become really effective with Ansible. Those three, um, continuing their growth, but more importantly, continuing their growth in these hybrid use cases, which AI I think will be a huge amplifier of, um, that's my goal for these next couple of years. I think is if we can make the open hybrid cloud architecture work for customers on it, um, we'll have a really, really healthy future ahead of us with it. So that's been, uh, that has sort of been our focus, but I will admit like 
having AI as that workload that is pulling customers to this is a really exciting catalyst to that right now. You know, and to be honest, I think under that, there is all the coming out of COVID, reestablishing working norms and those things, which are also critical to long-term innovation. So those are my, you know, external and internal focal points is getting us back to that new team norm um, with hybrid, whatever that ends up uh, being and making sure we stay on the use cases where we're strong and help customers succeed in those use cases. Um, you know, I think will yield uh, a lot of years of growth uh, with that. Great, thanks uh, for your insights and your time, Matt. Lovely chatting with you. Thanks a lot.